And now, a word from... Hello and welcome to The Last Looks Podcast, a show where we catch up with talented hairstylists and makeup artists in the film and television industry. We'll pick their super creative brains and find out all the good stuff. Join me, your host, Jamie Lee, in finding out what's what in the hair and makeup departments around the world. And now, a word from our sponsor. Calling all hairstylists and makeup artists. Would you like to have a strong wig knowledge? A solid foundation to build your wig styling skills on? Would you like to gain the respect of your cast colleagues and employers when it comes to wig work? And feel more confident in knowing how to handle, style, and apply wigs? Well, do we have a treat for you. Introducing Last Looks Workshops. Come down to Beverly Hills and join Jamie Lee and Rob Pickens in the Last Looks Workshops experience. Spaces are limited, so be sure not to dilly-dally. For more details, visit lastlooksworkshops.com. And now, our feature presentation. Today on the Last Looks podcast, I catch up with Master Barber Sincere Gillies. Sincere has a wonderful story to share on how he got his start in the TV and film industry, the wonderful opportunities that have presented themselves along the way, and how his eye for detail and his dedication to his craft have seen him succeed in his field. When listening to Sincere speak, his voice will lull you into a mode of positive relaxation. If only we all sounded as cool and calm as Sincere. Enjoy. Welcome to the Last Looks Podcast, Sincere. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Of course, it's my pleasure. Now finish this sentence for me, okay? Sure. Once upon a time, there was a little boy named Sincere, and when he grew up, he wanted to be... Uh, animator. You did? You wanted to be an animator? Yeah. That's yeah, cool. When I was young, <laughs> yeah. When I was young, I was in, intrigued with um, cartoons, especially Disney cartoons. I think when I was in school and I was able to write my name and do certain things, I was able to draw as well. So my favorite person to draw was Superman. And so obviously, because he had an S on his chest, first letter of my name is an S. Of course, goes hand in hand. (laughs) Right, you know, and um, definitely uh, started drawing and People will tell you now that knew me from back then that they thought that I would be, you know, uh, an artist, that mm-hmm. I would have a profession of an artist. Technically, I am an artist now still, yeah. but just not that of an animator. That's cool. So I, I love also that kind of, I don't know, that childhood dream of wanting to create something that you love because you obviously loved watching animated things. And then you had the thought of thinking, hey, maybe I could do that. Right. So that's really exciting. I, I, I also, I wonder if animators now or grown up mature animators still watch a lot of cartoons and stuff. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I still do. I'm still a little bit intrigued with animation. As a matter of fact, I saw something on Netflix that was an, that was an animated film or series 
Mm. And I can't remember the name of it for the life of me right now, but it was a great animated series on Netflix and I enjoyed it very, very much. And even yeah. now to this day, I'll go back and watch, you know, things that came out in television a long, long time ago, you know what I mean? And some of the, some of my favorite were anime cartoons. Yeah. I mean, it takes yeah, you back exactly. to your happy place, right? Like it's good times. Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and and, it, and sometimes it also allows you to get some creative juices flowing because you may see something in that that will enlighten you to be like, oh, maybe I should try this. So it's, it's, it's always good to go back. That's cool. I always feel when an adult tells me that they don't like animated things or cartoons that their inner child has died. <laughs> and I feel quite sorry, sorry for them. I feel quite bad for them. I'm like, how do you not like cartoons? <laughs> It's like, uh, I, I mean, I, I get it. I, I, I see both sides. I see your side. Yeah. I see their side as well because it's one of those things where like in this cool, cool world that we live in, you have mm. to be, you have to grow up very, very, you know, very quickly. And um, a lot of things that you may have wanted to do or take part in doing that will continue to give you some sort of uh, childhood memory or, or you know, resilience in, in a sense. Yeah. will allow you know you have to like shut it down and become leave an adult it behind to, yeah <laughs> yeah in order to survive in this world yeah unfortunately <laughs> so how do we move at what point do we decide that animation isn't gonna be the journey for you first year of college <laughs> yeah 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 first year of college um so you left high school went into college what were you thinking that you're going to do in college my major my first major in college was graphic design and then okay. because of um because of the way the world was shifting heavy into computers uh, oh. i changed my major from graphic design to computer graphics but again being in that time and everyone is learning i'm even thinking the teachers at that time were just learning about computer graphics and what it entails that it wasn't really a curriculum you know set for them to teach the students so it seemed like everyone was like learning on the fly so to speak at that time yeah just and, trying to catch up right because everything's right, moving so quickly right and so it, it allowed me to real quickly lose focus on on being you know attracted to that world and, and pursuing that that world and so and then it didn't help that um financial aid and and things of that nature wasn't wasn't available to me at, at a certain point i had to now become an independent couldn't rely mm. on my mother yeah to file for me to become you know to get finance to go to college so I had to think quick on my feet and figure out what I needed to do and how I was going to survive in this world and make money to, in order to pay for a roof over my head and so mm. forth. And barbering seemed like the thing at the time. Started learning how to cut hair before I left high school. So I may have been like 18 when I started to adapt myself to learn how to cut hair. And then eventually I went into a barber shop and asked one of the barbers to teach me. And so I became an apprentice under a barber and then was able to get my master license under the apprenticeship for a barber. And then moving fast forward, I was able to go and go through the necessary means of getting my cosmetology license as far as school is concerned. So where where did all of this happen? Where did you go to college and where did, where's this barbershop that you walked into? So originally I'm from Brooklyn, New York, born mm -hmm. and raised. And there was a barbershop that was like not too far. I, I would say like four blocks away from me, walking distance. 
mm. away from me. And so I walked in after, let's just say, a year, a, a year or so of cutting a bunch of my friends in the neighborhoods here. Yeah. For like five dollars at the time when haircuts were like ten dollars, uh, I was charging five dollars just to get people to come to me. Yeah, yeah. And so just practicing and and honing in on my skills as a barber from that perspective. And when I thought or I was told, I should say, from my peers that I was good enough mm-hmm. and that I should be in a barbershop, I walked into the barbershop and, you know, auditioned to see if I can, you know, get in, to work in the barbershop. And i never forget, I walked in there with my clippers, you know, hand-me-down clippers, obviously. And the barber looked and said, yeah, it's nice, but uh, you're missing something. And I, I think I gave somebody a skin fade, but at the bottom of the fade, you can still see where I started the fade at the line. Mm-hmm. And so he was basically telling me that I needed to to clean that up. And at that moment, I didn't know how to clean it up. I didn't know how to, like, I, I, I literally like adjusted the clippers to a zero gap as much as I could to, to yeah. do it. And it still wasn't doing anything. And so he basically told me, these are the tools that you need and this is how you do it. And he showed me and I did the rest and it was just like, wow, that's so easy. Why can I think of that? It just intrigued me that there's still more to learn as far as barbering is concerned. And he told me the tools that I needed. And I said, "Uh, cool, I'll, I'll be back. He's like, once you get these tools, then you can work in the shop. At this point, I'm like, okay, $5 a haircut is not going to get me $400 worth of clippers that I need to use. So how am I going to do this? And luckily, a good friend of mine uh, invested in me, I should say, at at an early age. He invested in me. And mind you, at this time, I'm I'm like 19 years old, already have gone to college and, and so forth, but still trying to figure it out. And he invested in me and was just like, I'll loan you this $400 and you just pay me back whenever you get that $400 back. And there was no set deadline. He didn't. He didn't want it a year from now, or two years from now, or weeks from now. He just wanted it when I was in a position capable of giving it to him. Yeah. And eventually, at some point, I did. I was able to pay him back with interest. That's Because awesome. I, I was happy that he believed in me. Yeah, because I mean, it's a lot of money up front to before you're even in the barbershop making the money. You know. Yeah. So, and I mean, barbers, some serious tools you've got going on. <laughs> yeah, you, you got some tools. But I mean, hairstylists too. You guys, I think you guys carry a, a, a carry-on suitcase for all the, the, the supplies oh, that dude. you may have. Or you may even have to have a large suitcase for all the supplies that you need. So, yeah. So how long does that kind of apprenticeship program take? Like how long were you learning? Uh, it actually takes like uh two years yeah it takes two years i think mine was um longer not because i wasn't ready but because Mm. i was basically waiting on the master barber to be in a position to allow me to go and take the test for me to get my master barber license and then how so what made you move on to getting your cosmetology license as well like what what gave you that idea to keep going in that direction to be completely honest with you um at a like I guess in the early stages of me working in TV and film, realized that in order for me to be in a union, I needed yeah. to have a cosmetology license. They weren't allowing barbers to go into the union with just a barber, master barber license. No matter how much I tried, it just was not, it was not budging. <laughs> they weren't budging at all. <laughs> <Rules> so, <laughs> yeah. 
So working in the barbershop, I guess then my questioning goes back even further to what transitions you into TV and film world. So um, there was a point in my barbershop career where I had actually stopped working in a barbershop and Hmm. and kind of transitioned into doing something else to get more business orientated, I should say, oriented. Um, I left the barbershop maybe around 2004. And from 2004 till 2007, I hmm. was uh, partners with two colleagues of mine, a friend, close friends of mine who I consider brothers, they decided to open up a, a kiosk yeah. inside of a mall in Brooklyn. We were customizing cell phones at that time. So whatever design you wanted to be put on your cell phone, we would be able to accommodate that for you. And we would also be in a position to put ringtones in people's phones because at that point in time, people were heavy into whenever their phone rings, they wanted a specific song or a specific saying coming out their phone instead of the phone doing an original ringtone. So Yeah, yeah, I remember that. It was just like, no, I don't want the one that's already in the phone. I want something different. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> so I did that for a couple of years, and that gave me a sense of business acumen on you know how to do payroll, how to manage employees and things of that nature for a certain amount of time. And then mm -hmm. the more that we were working in was about to shut down, so we had to figure out what we were going to do. So we basically parted ways. And everyone went on their own way to um, pursue their line of business that they wanted to pursue. And for me, I just decided to go back into the working market. And I started working for Apple. And I started working for Apple, the company, from 2007 to 2009. And in that time span, I guess in 2008, I, I still had that bug yeah. of wanting to cut hair and wanting to make people look good. I just didn't know in what capacity I wanted to, to do it at. And it just hit me and said that, listen, if, you know, I, I'm a person that at that point in time was thinking about leaving behind a legacy and leaving a mark in this world and, and just being present and just standing out, making your, your, your work stand for something, nice. if anything. And um, it just came to me that maybe I can do that within the entertainment industry. And so... I created in 2008, I created my company, Director's Cut Inc., for that specific reason, to be a company that grooms, you know, grooms talent in the industry. That's awesome. So how, like, how did you go about getting your first clients and things? Uh, I put my foot to the street. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, there's this thing with six degrees of separation where there's someone in your network that you, that knows or has access to something that you may need in mm. order to move forward in your life or become successful to a certain extent. And with that in mind, I basically reached out to people that I've met, whether it's working at Apple or even me having the business at the kiosk, who it is that I've worked with or met. And surely enough, a good friend of mine who is in mortgage and real estate was telling me about, you know, telling me, hey, Super Bowl is actually happening in um, Miami this year. Why don't you come with me and we can start networking that way. So I went to Miami, started networking, put the you know, foot to the ground and, and just started networking that way. When I came back from Miami, had a couple of numbers, reached out to a couple of people, but nothing that I could say that would get me to where I am or where I wanted to be, I should say. Yeah. But there is one person that stuck out and that I worked when I was 
that I knew or met when I was working at the kiosk. And he was the fashion editor at the time, fashion editor for Double XL Magazine, an urban magazine in New York. I reached out to him because we basically customized a lot of their phones and products that they had that they brought to us. And they actually had our company inside of their magazine oh, as cool. a as a support for people to know who we are and where to go to and stuff like that. So yeah. it, it, it worked out. So I reached out to him. You're like, he's got to know someone. He's yeah. Exactly, <laughs> somebody. And I was just like, Hey, I want to set up a meeting with you. Can I sit down with you? And, and let's just talk. And he said, sure. So met with him in his office and uh, we spoke and I told him what it is that I was doing, that mm-hmm. I was trying to do. And if there's any way that he can help me and if not help me, just point me in the direction of somebody that can. Yeah. And he basically said, no problem. You know, let me think about it and, and, and see what I can gather. And I'll, I'll reach back to you as soon as I can. And lo and behold, let's just say I may have met him in March. By April, he reached back to me and said, I'm doing a shoot for my magazine as usual. And I'm actually looking for a barber to groom one of the models for the shoot that I'm doing. So are you available? Nice. work and I said sure yeah. and that kind of set it off to where at that one shoot he saw how professional I was and, and everything because at this point I think my claim to being acknowledged was just how I presented myself I went to work always with a suit and tie mm-hmm. and and a suitcase that had clippers in it you know so everyone was just like this is what's, what's going on who is this dude <laughs> and then to see me in a suit and then see me take my blazer off and cut hair. And I'm like, he's cutting hair with a tie on and a shirt and, and shoes and, and slacks. Like, this is this is crazy. But I like it. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. that's what basically started the relationship as far as me being called back to work on some more sets with him. And one particular set um, that I worked with him on, he had the actor Michael K. Williams at the shoot. I groomed Michael for the first time on that shoot. Mm. And after that shoot, Michael called me maybe a month or two later and said, hey, we're starting back season two of Boardwalk Empire. Would you be available to come and groom me for that? Just ah, me personally. And, that's awesome. Um, I love that show and love Michael K. Williams. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Such a good character in that show. My goodness. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. He was, he was great at it. He was great at what he do, a legend yeah. in his game. And I was just blessed to be offered an opportunity to work with him. So where did that shoot? We shot that show in New York, several locations. Sometimes we would shoot in Staten Island. Sometimes we would shoot in um, in Brooklyn at Steiner Studios. Nice. So majority of the time we would shoot at Steiner Studios in Brooklyn. So that's your first experience of like being on set kind of full time-ish? Full time yeah 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 Mm -hmm. and what a show to start with my goodness far out i know (laughs) i know like usually they're saying they were basically giving michael pushback at some point where they were saying no we we can have him come and cut you and then he would have to leave Hmm. so the days that you need to cut he would leave i mean you would come and cut you and then leave but michael fought hard for me to be that person that not only came to cut him but stay on set and go through the motions and go through what it entails to be on set and how to look after an actor when you're on set to make sure your continuity is there and everything is in is in accordance to yeah. what the, to getting them camera ready. 
That's cool. So who kind of explained all of that to you? Um, Michael did, and the department head at the time for Boardwalk Empire, Francesca Paris, showed me a little things, little things here and there as well. And there's nice. a couple of people from Boardwalk that helped me out from Francesca to her daughter, Michelle, to there was a, another woman that helped me out. To this day, we we haven't been in contact for a while, but if I reach out to her, she'll she'll know who I am and everything. Um, yeah. My name is Therese, Therese Doucet. I like that it's, um you know, that you had some people taking you under their wing and kind of showing you the way. That's awesome. Yeah. That's very cool. And so I guess it just kind of grows from there, Right. Yeah, it it grew from there in the sense of at this point now, anything that Michael K. Williams was doing, mm. and he was in a position to have me on board as his personal hairstylist. That that's where I was. So I worked with him on Boardwalk Empire. I worked with him on The Night of. I worked with him on Happen Leonard, a bunch of different shows, and the last show that I worked with him on before he passed. Song mm. um, was um, Lovecraft Country. Dude, that show I was so fucking good, and I cannot for the life of me. I mean, you might know more, but I why did that not continue? I I could have gone into a could have eaten another season of that for breakfast. Like it was so much fun to watch. I my husband and I we loved it, <laughs> loved it. I'm sure so good. That must have been fun to work yeah, on, huh? That was it. Was is actually like one of my uh, one of the fav- one of my favorite shows that I've worked on. Like one of the one of the shows that stands out. Like Boardwalk is definitely one of them, but. Lovecraft Country is a standout show for me to have worked on, for sure. I met a lot of people on that show. I'm currently working with one of the actors from the show as his personal hairstylist, Jonathan May. He's just going from strength to strength, that dude, too. He's doing some awesome work. So that's very cool. So on Lovecraft Country, were you just looking after Michael or were you doing other people as well on that? No, I was doing other people as well on there. Um, Michael wanted me to come on as a, as a personal hairstylist, but then when he thought about it, he felt that I would probably learn way more helping out the hair department as opposed to being a personal hairstylist for him. Oh, dude, it's it's so nice to hear that that he had the best interests in mind. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. And so I I jumped on board with Lovecraft as the third hairstylist. That's awesome. So there was a head, there was the key, and I was the third hairstylist. And um, it was great. It was great to work on. It It was a great experience. I looked after Michael. I looked after Jonathan. I looked after Courtney B. Vance. And I looked after a couple of actors that came in, you know, sporadically through yeah, yeah. the season. That's so cool. So was that your first time not being purely a personal? Was that your first gig kind of like being part of the full team? Uh, yeah. Wow, yeah. that's awesome. It's, it's so, <laughs> you do everything so backwards. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? I love it. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I mean, there's no there's no set way of doing things, of course. Like everyone has their own their own journey and how they get into these things, but it's quite amazing how many projects you kind of worked on as a personal to then be like, okay, now I'm the third in in the hair team. It's very cool. Yeah, it is is pretty it, it makes me feel like different too like you said that my journey was completely different than anyone else's and that's that's just what it is right but to know that 
majority of the people in in the industry are a part of a hair department first before seeing mm-hmm. any personal work and more than likely can jump back and forth depending on who they're doing mm-hmm. or on who they're personal for. And for me to have been a personal for all these years and then have a moment where I'm a part of a hair department and then yeah. back to being a personal. Are there pros and cons to, to both both of those situations? I'm sure there are. There probably are, but I, to be honest, I just look at things in such of a positive manner and just look at things and as a blessing that it's all good <laughs> yeah it's, 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 it's just really all good for me you know like yeah. i mean one would say that if you're personal you may feel depending on the show that you're working on or who you're working with you may feel slightly as an outsider because your role is just to take mm-hmm. care of one specific person and so a lot of the things that happen within a department may not be expressed with you or discussed mm-hmm. with you to a certain extent it, they they just really just want to know what are you going to do with the person that you're in charge of? And that's it. And then there's been other times where that hasn't been the case, you know, but for me, ultimately there's just pros in being a personal because, you know, you're, you're able to interact and get one-on-one with that person. And me being a barber is something that I'm accustomed to just, you know, even though the barbershop is a revolving door for clients, it's just still when that client is in your chair, you're you're dealing with one person at a time. And your whole focus is to make that one person look a certain type of way. And so being a personal is kind of like right up my alley, kind of, from that perspective. But then it's a great feeling also working in the department because you feel a part of the team and it's a collective effort. It's teamwork. And me getting that experience, I've been more so been proactive in creating more of a teamwork, regardless if I'm a personal or not. I, I, you know, am involved in everything with the hair department and the makeup department, just so that I'm aware of anyone that may need help or how can I be of service or help to them, but also how can I make sure that I'm on top of my game when it comes to grooming my personal actor for certain scenes, you know, because certain things are happening. So I need to collaborate more with people in hair or just people in makeup for that matter, to make sure that we're cohesive and making the actor's appearance look presentable for the show or the movie. Yeah, yeah. I think it's definitely, um, it's it's incredibly important. I don't, it it always confuses me when that collaboration kind of isn't there because they all work together, you know, it's a whole, it's a whole look. So the more you can communicate and collaborate with each other. And it's at the end of the day, all you want is the best thing for the job. Like, I just want this to look how everybody wants exactly. it to look. And <laughs> I want everyone to be happy. <laughs> right. And it's just exactly. like, whoever you got to work exactly. with and however you got to do it to make it happen, it's just like, yep, let's do it. <laughs> let's just do it. Let's just get our hands dirty and let's just do it. Yeah, that's awesome. So coming up through these jobs and the barbershop and all these experiences that you've had, have you had one piece of advice that has really stuck with you? Yeah, I think like Michael, Michael K. Williams told me something early on working on Boardwalk Empire with him. And he basically said, (laughs) this is one thing that always stuck with me, I think, because 
it, I was literally a virgin to the film industry. And, and I, when I came on, I, I basically groomed him and cut him. I still had the barbershop mentality of like, I cut your hair and then I'm going to be here, but I'm going to be here to just watch and mm -hmm. observe and see what's going on. And I'll never forget, like they said, last looks. And I was just, just looking around like, oh, what's, <laughs> what's, what's going on, you know? And so he came up to me and he said, listen, when they say last looks, that means that you come and you make sure that I look camera ready at all times. You know, even if there is nothing mm -hmm. that needs to be done, obviously, you know, like just make sure that you're present and letting everyone know that you're here and that this yeah. actor is being taken care of. That actually went a long way with me to the point where I'm a hawk on set. When I'm on set, my eyes and, and my attention is so sharp that I I go and do last looks before last <laughs> yeah. looks is even called. I mean, there are so, those times where you're working yeah. with an AD who doesn't even like to call last looks. So you gotta got to be paying attention. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's exactly. awesome. I love how he schooled you on last looks. Yeah. And so we're talking about some favorites and Boardwalk Empire, obviously, I mean, it's your first, your first job. Um, incredible project it's period piece mm -hmm. you must have just been on those sets going what this is amazing so mm -hmm. I'm just answering your question mm -hmm. for you but that's probably why it was a favorite right <laughs> oh yeah no the, the whole experience I mean and then at the time like I said I would always go on set wearing I would go to work wearing a suit and tie right and so there were times where people on set PAs on set used to think that I was an extra for the show uh -huh. <laughs> and I'm like no I'm here uh to groom Michael K and they're like oh and this only happened for like first two seasons that I was there and then I started on set season two and the show ended on season five so by the time season four the end of season three mm -hmm. and season four and five came along everyone knew by now that okay sincere is the person that comes in with a suit and tie on yeah. he's not background so, he's not background <laughs> he's not an extra like just <laughs> so it was that it's awesome and um and you said lovecraft country was a favorite um do you have any other fave projects that you've worked on yeah the heart of they fall was a was a good project that i worked on loved working on that yeah, i mean it's a it's a cool film it's a fun watch where were you guys yeah. shooting that is that in New Mexico? New Mexico, That's yeah. Awesome. We shot that in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And it was cool. Nice. How'd you like um being on, on location? Um, it was great. It was great being on location. It was some difficult times, but we persevered through it because it was mm. the height of the pandemic, you know. So shooting under those circumstances could definitely be hard and we were dealing with a resilient crew you know cast and crew there and we made it through and which is probably why that project will be something that mm. is held dear because of what we accomplished in in those times i think so and it doesn't it's not something you always necessarily see on screen it's your experience isn't it of what yeah exactly what you kind of go through as a team and as a crew yeah. to get that job done. <laughs> right, right, exactly. And I love just hearing about your professional attire and what you wear to work. So I 
would love to know a little bit more about some professional ethics that really resonate strongly with you. But I will say that I no longer wear suit and ties for for set because being on location, that that dry cleaning and build may you know be more than what you get paid for <laughs> in a day. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say when when you said that, I was just saying, oh, shit, I wonder if he's still wearing a suit and tie because some some locations and sets that you go to, it's just like, oh, dude, that could almost be dangerous wearing those types of shoes. Exactly. Or, yeah. Exactly. So, um, but I, I feel like because that is where you've come from, that you're still probably oh, yeah. very well dressed. Yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> definitely. I've, I've been told <laughs> that too. Like even with me dressing whatever, however it is that I need to dress for what I consider to be called a uniform for me, I dress in my uniform when I go to work. <clears throat> There's still people that be like, look at Sincere, you look, you know, you look good. Like, you, I would, you know, and I'm like, well, if you think I look good now, tell, I, I hope to hear this from you on the 36th day of work or some sort of, you know, 24th day of work when I'm still wearing the same thing over and over again, because I'm not, I'm not changing. So, but as far as like professional ethics that uh, I look for when being at work or I admire is um, Mm. being on time is one, respecting the art Mm. is another you know, like when you're on set, you respect when the actors are creating this art. You respect when the crew is creating the art. You know, there's just a certain level of respect there that, that goes into that, that I, I like to see. Being able to give and receive fearless feedback from mm-hmm. colleagues and, and peers, you know, without feeling any kind of way about it, without taking it personal. This is just something that needs to be said or is told to you or, you know, given or received for the betterment of you and your career, whichever where it leads you, right? I think that can kind of go in the way also of, I feel like people, I wish they could handle receiving and giving compliment more often as well. Because I know that that's something... Yeah. I need to work on is that we, giving more compliments yeah. when you're just head down, busy, 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 and you just really, especially as a head of a department, I just really need to stop and just be like, that is amazing. What you've done right there is amazing because it just, right. I don't know, it just helps that support system, right? Even just telling somebody, you yeah. know, good work today, good job today. Like, you know, today when, when they say that's a wrap, you know, see your guys tomorrow, that's, you know, it's good to, to hear good day today, you know, good job today. You, you, you know, mm. you were there, you were present or just, just, just saying good job today could, could possibly give somebody a boost or some sort of relief to say, okay, I, I, I can come back tomorrow and do this all over again and not feel the way or not question. Yeah. You don't know what kind of day they could have had. They could have had the most exactly. shit day ever. And that last thing that they hear in that day is good day. And then they're like, right. oh, okay. Exactly. Right. <laughs> it was worth it. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> and I guess the last thing is just confidentiality. You know. Take it seriously. Yeah. Yeah. I think it definitely in our line of work is, yeah, I mean, well, it's just respect, isn't it, again? Mm-hmm. And what do you feel helps you stand out in your profession? What makes me stand out, I guess, is my attention to detail and how alert mm-hmm. I can be when I'm on set. 
like I mentioned before, sometimes I'm doing last looks before the ADs are saying last looks. And sometimes I know what the next setup is going to be before any PA is able to come to me and tell me what the next setup is going to be. And there's no disrespect to, to what they're doing or, or anything of that nature. They, I think that most of the PAs that I've worked with have mm. been doing a, an awesome job with, you know, relaying messages and just communicating, you know. They, and they, they always come and say, hey, uh, so our next setup is this. And I never take the liberty to say, yeah, I know already. You know, no, I, I actually listen to them and say, copy that and keep it going. But for the most part, I'm so in tune with the set from the time that they yell action to the time that they yell cut. What separates me is just the simple fact that I'm on set with a monitor, you know, on my phone because they're allowing, you know, you to have cue take so that you can, you know, look at stuff from the Mm -hmm. monitor from your phone instead of crowding the director's monitor. Yeah. Right. And, um, And for me, looking at the monitor and having a can, which is, you know, headphones and a piece of block that you turn on that allows you to hear the actors do their their dialogue and, and, and do their stuff. I'm so in tune and aware of the scene and everything of that nature that if I do need to step in, I, I'll step in. If I don't, I don't. I'm just in awareness and I hear what's going on on the set all around from whether it's the grips doing something to the camera department doing something. Like, I'm just aware. And I think that that's what's separating. Yeah, it's switched on and yeah, yeah. switched on, paying attention. Yeah, it, it makes a difference because uh, yeah, <laughs> I do know some people just um, you know go off to their chair and sit there playing on their phone until a PA comes to tell them what's happening next. So I think it's good to definitely keep one ear to the ground and know what's going on all the time. Mm-hmm. Then you've got no one else to blame but yourself if you miss something. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And the attention to detail, I think, goes a long way in this industry. People notice when you when you have, have that um, that skill. It's very cool. Yeah. And what, because you haven't done, you haven't done a, a huge amount of work, only because, what when was Boardwalk Empire? When did you start that? Like 2011? Yes. Maybe? Yeah. So what have you not worked on that you would like to? Like what kind of project? Honestly, I guess the future projects that I think that I will mm. be working on, I guess, you know, like those are the only things that I kind of look forward to, to where I, where I'm like, okay, this is a project that, you know, I haven't worked on before, but I'm at some point I am going to work on it. And so it's just to go ahead and go work on it, you know? Yeah, I never really try to indulge in to say, you know what, there's a, there's a, there's a project that's out that I wish I could have worked on or that I should have worked on. I, I, I kind of just take my blessings as they come and just say whatever it is that I've worked mm. on or that I am working on, that that's what I was supposed right. to, that's what I was here to do. That's what I was here to, to, to do. Yeah. I guess it's more of a, I don't know whether there's genres or something that, you know, cause some people will be like, I've never worked on a sci-fi or a fantasy or a this or a that. So they, kind of think one day that'd be cool but they certainly don't have anything specific in mind like I wish I'd done Star Wars you know that movie or whatever <laughs> yeah I mean I feel like I've worked in I mean I could be wrong but I kind of feel like I've worked in every genre kind of I mean I've done drama which obviously was Boardwalk and The Night Of and it was period and so... it was period right um, yeah 
I've worked on, I guess you can say sci-fi and fantasy, which was like, and drama, which was like Lovecraft Country. Absolutely. You know, it was drama, but it was sci-fi as well. Yeah, very um, true. I've worked on comedy to a certain extent with Hap and Leonard. And you've done a Western. And I've done a Western, you know, so. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so again, yeah, this is without me even really thinking about it, I felt like I've, I've tackled every genre without me saying that this is what I would like to tackle, you know? Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. And um, what do you find most rewarding about what you do? Finishing the project. Yeah. You know, finishing the project and and knowing that my peers acknowledge me and the work that I've done to the point to where they feel that I am worthy enough to be on, you know, a podcast like yours, you know, or to be on a panel discussing what it is that I do and where I come from. So that's rewarding for me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And what do you find most challenging? Most challenging about what it is that I do, I guess, um, being away from family for a long period of time, like traveling and being away from family. We're we're away working on projects as minimum as Mm -hmm. two months, three months, and as long as six to seven months, maybe even 10 months sometimes. And for example, my mother or my sister, you know, Mm. for, for that long period of time it, it kind of you know it's just it's kind of like oh man can't wait till i'm done so that i can go and visit and say hi and and be present with the family and stuff like that so yeah that's difficult how do you do the balance with the work life work life dance because i mean it's it's not i mean working in a in the barbershop of course there's the work-life balance but you're you're going into that one place of work your hours are pretty standard you know what time you have off, you know, you're not far away from home. But the film industry is like a whole different monster with the hours that you do, whether you're working locally or on location away somewhere. So how do you find that balance for work and life? Well, I mean, recently I've, you know, I'm, I've just brought family to, to work. Yeah. Not literally, but, you know, in the sense of if I'm traveling, my family travels with me. Yeah. So I have a two-year-old mm. son and I have a wife. And so instead of me being away from them from time, you know, if I've come to the point where it's just like, well, if I'm going here, you guys are coming with me. So I may not see you while I'm at work, but when I'm done work and I come home, I'll see you and I'll spend time with you. And, you know, you'll give me that sort of boost or resurgence that I need in order to keep continuing and then keep going. Yeah. And I mean, they get to explore new different places while you're at work, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's great, especially while your um, little one is so little, kind of easier to move around a bit more, right? Yeah, right. I'm always curious as to whether someone is in, thinks of themselves more of an introvert or an extrovert. Originally, mm-hmm. I would say I'm an introvert because that's just, you know, I'm, I'm a... I'm a Virgo, so um, very reserved. I, I observe. I observe more mm-hmm. than anything, you know, and so um, I'm considered an introvert. But what this industry has—I won't say forced me to be—but has like made me aware that I need to be at some mm-hmm. point in time, occasionally, is an extrovert because I have to be approachable. I have to be able to approach people. 
And so being an introvert may not get me heard or seen in this industry. And so me learning that at an early age of Mm. being in the industry, uh, it's taught me a lot of me being able to speak, me being able to approach people and be approachable, you know, instead of going someplace and kind of uh, waiting for someone to acknowledge me, I, if I acknowledge you, I acknowledge you and I'll let you know that I've acknowledged you. And, you know, if I'm walking in on set, I try to say hi to everyone that I see on set. I may not remember your name by the first time you mentioned it to me, but as mm-hmm. we keep going along in this journey of working on this, whether it's a film or a TV series or whatever have you, I will know your name. You will know my name. We will know mm-hmm. what it is that we do. And there's going to be a certain type of respect that's going to be there. And when I when we leave each other, there you know there'll definitely be a, a a great deal of respect for one for one another and what we do because we've now finished something that we've put our heart and soul into so that's awesome i um yeah i really feel some of what you're saying i'm also a virgo also naturally think of myself as an introvert which people who listen to this podcast probably are like what no um (laughs) (laughs) same here same here because people will see me and would not think that i'm an introvert but yeah i am they'll be like yeah he's quiet but yeah and it's i i'm i'm that type of person that when i'm around people that i know love and trust i think the extrovert is like fully there oh for sure but yeah walking onto a set for the first time with a whole bunch of crew that i don't know i'm just oh yeah I'm quiet I'm just sneaking in and out so it's it's kind of good to hear you say that you try to kind of get to know everybody because I I feel like a lot of the times I would rather nobody even know who I am I just want to go and do my job and then leave again (laughs) oh trust me same here I just want to go in do what I need to do stay focused and and then and then sneak out at the end of the day (laughs) yeah because it has its it has its uh, its pros and it has mm. its cons of that as well. You know, sometimes somebody may not know that you're just, you, you know, you're just being cordial and just want to want to make sure that you know everybody and and just be aware of your surroundings and what's going on. That's usually me, and they may not know that, and so they may pick the wrong time to come to me after I've greeted them or had a small conversation with them that they may feel comfortable to come back and want to hold a conversation with me at the wrong time. And I'm like, Hey, I, you know, I'm locked in right now. So anything that you say to me at this point, once they say action or whatever, Mm. or once my actor is on set, like I, I can't indulge in none of that. I literally have to be on, on 10 to make sure that everything is going according yeah. to the way it's supposed to maybe on on break on lunch or or as the cameras are being set up we may definitely have a some time to have a, a brief conversation but when it's go time it's go time yeah fair enough I think too that sometimes maybe not as much now I don't know I know I used to get it when I was younger but people would think that I was being rude but I was just being shy Mm. (laughs) and when you walk in you know those first times of being on a massive set I just wanted to get inside my turtle shell and disappear but yeah over over time and over the years you learn that you do need to (laughs) stand stand strong and be like yes 
I'm this person and this is the department I'm in and this is my job and I need to do my job. Get out of my way. <laughs> it's going to happen. Thank you very right. much. <laughs> right. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah. And then, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, I mean, doing this podcast and I'm grateful for you coming on the podcast, feeling that you're more of an introvert as well. It's awesome. We, we can be introverts together on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> for sure, for sure. Listen, yeah. fellow Virgo. So, you know, it's, it's, it's all great, man. It's all great. It's where that attention to detail comes from, my friend. <laughs> exactly. Because we're perfectionists at heart, right? We're, we're just solely perfectionists at heart. It's awesome. And um, I would love to know how you define success in your work. Yeah, I define success as definitely me finishing a project that I've worked on. Yeah. Like, you know, it's like I'm going through it from the day that we start and I'm not I'm not taking my foot off the pedal until we're done, until they say that is a picture wrap and it's at that point that everything, I kind of like let everything, the guards down, everything is gone and I'm happy and I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm pleased with the effort and the mm. work that I've done yeah. to get to this point. And so that's, that's where the success happens for me. That's awesome. Just being able to see that through from start to finish. That's cool. Hey, I right. wanted to just ask too. So when you're doing your personal work and you are doing that on set are you doing that type of work with your clients off set as well so for if they have appearances somewhere or they have red carpet stuff to do are you also going and being involved in that type of thing as well yeah it's a nice kind of variety spice of life right oh yeah (laughs) yeah you just get exposed (laughs) to to everything that whoever your client is at the time like whatever it is that they're going through that's what you're going through as well i think that's nice to have that there's that variety to kind of break up yeah break up the work that's cool yes it's definitely a blessing i I always look at it as a blessing like i'm blessed to be in this position and to have this opportunity to every day is a lesson so i'm learning as we you know as, as every day happens as new things happen so it's great yeah and what is something that you've learned recently what's something new it's crazy i'm just trying to figure what that is actually and i don't know if like i haven't learned anything new. i know i've learned anything new but something interesting that i've learned i would say i mean this is something that just everybody should know and has to know yeah i think the more and more that i do it the more i realize how important it is that it needs to be done which is like just taking the time out to prep and do research on what it is that you're doing to be all in and not be lazy, you know what I mean? Like you feel like you that person that could be at the drop that something happens or come. You're supposed to work on the fly if something changes on the fly, but not when something is you know given to you at X amount of days or months prior. You're supposed to have everything together and worked out. So yeah, when something's literally written in black and white on a paper script. Um... Yeah. <laughs> You should be prepared yeah. for it. <laughs> but I've learned on the fly. What I what I did learn is mm. that you can prep mm. and you can have meetings, prep meetings and stuff like that about what is supposed to happen, what you envision to happen. But sometimes on the day, that can change real quick and you need to be able to adjust. Or it can work out great, but it's just, you just, you just have to adjust, you know? Yeah. 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 
but those plans can go out the window and you've got to come up with something completely different and that's um I know it's fun it's a challenge right yeah that's what keeps it interesting keeps everything interesting keeps you engaged this will it'll never be a dull life on set ever <laughs> let's hope not <laughs> <laughs> Now, I want you to visualize that you're at your station. You've got everything you need for the day. You're set up. You are prepared. You're ready to go. And if I walked in and I took one tool or product away from you, what would freak you out? What would you be like, no, Jamie, you cannot take that? Hmm. Uh, honest answer would be my hands. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I would be able to take your hands, but... Um. <laughs> right. And I, I, I'll give you an example, right? Because that's like, because my hands is like, if you take my hands, then there's nothing that I can do. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm shit out of luck. I know. Whenever someone says, would you rather lose a leg or an arm? I'm like, a leg, take it now. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> the, the hands, are the precious things, man, they got to, they do the job. <laughs> yeah. Like, like. And like, if it's a tool, if you, if you were to take a tool from my station, I would mm. free God, just try to figure out a way to either get that tool or to get another tool like it to do what I needed to, to do. Yeah. You know what I mean? But I would always try to figure out a way. I'll give you a, a good story. When, um, when I used to work at the shop, there was a point in Brooklyn at some point when I was at the shop, I was working in Park Slope. There was a point where we were, I was cutting a client's hair and um, did like one side of their head was already done. And now I needed to do the left side of their head, mm. which is like finished tapering mm. their, the back of their head and the side of their head and then shake them up. Yeah, That's all I needed to do. I cut their hair down already. I started the... The, the tapering as far as like balding the sides the way I needed to and et cetera. And all I needed to do was just now fade it yeah. and line and shape the person up. And in the middle of me getting ready to do the left side, New York City has a blackout. Oh, shit. <laughs> this is before cordless <laughs> clippers were invented, <laughs> you know, so everything yeah, was corded. Yeah, yeah. And I couldn't use my clippers mm. to finish the job. And so what I did was take a, a comb mm. and take a razor and adjusted the razor with the comb in order for me to fade the taper on the back yeah. and, the, and, the, and the sides. And then I used the straight razor to, to actually shape the person's hairline up and I was done and that was it. So I saved myself from not looking like a person that can't adjust and I also say the client from having to walk out of the shop, even though he had a valid excuse yeah. that there was a blackout. But he wouldn't have wanted to walk out with a half-done haircut. Without a, exactly. Oh, that's awesome. So, yeah. Well, nice work. I'm sure he was incredibly pleased that you could get the job done. <laughs> yeah, he was. Like, I think I had a customer for life at that point. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's probably a story he tells. And um, who would you want to hear on the podcast? I honestly, I would want to hear from a good friend, colleague of mine that I worked with. Her name is Andrea Mona Bowman. I do believe I have heard that name. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone calls her Mona. Her name is Andrea yeah. Bowman, but we nice. call her Mona. Mona was the key on Lovecraft Country. That's the first time that I met her. And since then, she's she showed me a lot. And she's always been in my corner and in, in anything that I've done. 
not to say that there hasn't been any other colleagues of mine that I've worked with that hasn't been in my corner because they have been. And Mama Carol is definitely one of them. I worked with her on on Half and Leonard, so for sure. I would definitely, I think that it'd be great to hear Mona on your podcast and the model experience and shows and things that she's done and how she even came into this industry is a journey within itself that needs to be heard. So. Oh, that's awesome. Yay. Well, Sincere, I thoroughly enjoyed talking to you today. Um, I appreciate your time so much and I'm so happy that you shared. I love your journey. It's awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me and, and reaching out to me, even though I knew with my busy schedule, it was hard for me to reach back in such a timely fashion. So I apologize for that. We did it though. We, we did, did it. it. We, did it. <laughs> we did it. We made it happen. <laughs> we did. We did. It's not, it's never easy, but um, I appreciate you taking the time. It's awesome. Thank you so much. You're welcome. You're very welcome. For links to see more about our guests, go to our Instagram at The Last Looks Podcast or our website, thelastlookspodcast.com. If you want to keep up with new episodes being released, be sure to subscribe through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, Google Play, YouTube, or any podcast streaming platform. And remember, if you're enjoying the show, share it. The Last Looks Podcast would like to thank Brett Stanley and Sabrina Castro. The song Fun Time by DJ Quads. Thanks for listening. Until next time. That's a wrap, people.